Hey everybody, C-Note here and welcome to Dopamine, the show that is like your favorite anime, lasting for over 300 episodes and still going strong. Today on the show, I want to talk about managing symptoms of your mental health or mental illness with personality uh, systems or other systems. And uh, this is going to be an episode where I'm going to be very careful about how I talk about all of this, because this is not a cure. These are not things that are, um, I, I can't even speak to all personality types because, you know, this is only my experience. So I'm mostly going to be talking about my experience as an INTP with cyclothymia, but I'm also going to be sharing some of the process of how I started to implement my personality type in relation to my symptoms and how to think about what I need as a person versus what the mental illness is asking of me. So let's hit the button to do the thing here on Dopamine. Let's go. Hi, my name is Michael. I just had a profiling session with C-Note and I really loved it. Uh, I actually have been struggling for a long time, hesitating between INTP and INFP. So getting an expert point of view from outside was critical for me. Uh, I really felt in good hands. Uh, I was able to get rid of any doubts I had. I was able to ask any questions, and that was really a game changer for me. Uh, overall, I'm really happy with how the session was set up and very happy with the results as well. So I highly recommend working with him, um, and I want to, to thank him again. It was totally worth it. Sign up for your own one-on-one -on -one personality profiling session at dopamine.life slash profiling session today. friends welcome back to the show how you doing everything okay in your world i hope it is i you know the world's a crazy place at the moment but uh some things are reliable like podcasts and that's really what i'm trying to be is uh a reliable source for your podcast entertainment or information or life crisis i don't know whatever it is that you're dealing with i need to make one minor adjustment to my microphone. Okay, there we go. Much better. So, um, today I wanted to talk to you about uh, managing symptoms w uh, using your personality type, whether that's Enneagram or Myers-Briggs. Uh, so this is going to be a little bit more esoteric, not as if my episodes aren't esoteric <laughs> as they are, uh, but really it's, it's about how we can start to think about establishing our sense of normal, because that's really what this is about. Um, my personal goal with dopamine is to make this a place where, you know, other websites or encourage other people who are teaching typology to be able to use these systems as a way to define our sense of normal. Because uh, a lot of the challenges we deal with are in relation to other people. I've talked about it in other episodes, but. Um, whether that's that's comparing ourselves in terms of a um, achievements 
or our ability to be emotionally connective or, you know, how, how we, our sense of identity, our sense of self, uh, what we favor in terms of the way that we think, having respect for others in the way that they think and, and being able to use that baseline, that normalcy as a measure of, of, you know, where to start and where to calibrate to and how to find your center using that sort of thing. So one of the real big basis for all of this is that um, Beatrice Chestnut, who is the author of The, the Complete Enneagram, she's, she's wonderful. Uh, I've been lucky enough to work with her uh, at an event doing some, some filming stuff. And one of the big things that, sh- that I took away from, from her speeches, her talks, was that she mentioned in the DSM that a certain Enneagram type, Enneagram 3, in terms of personality disorders was not listed in the American DSM. And that basically leaves you with the assumption that the American sense of normal relates to the Enneagram three. And I think not to talk crap on Enneagram threes, but uh, there's a lot of challenges out there in the world right now in relation to the um, the normalcy or the expectation of being an Enneagram three in culture right now. Now, for those who don't know, Enneagram three is, uh, self-deceit. It is a place of, um, uh, and that's just one of the words. It's not a negative thing to be a three, to be a three is to kind of push yourself to, they're, they're sort of the epitome of fake it till you make it. Um, but in a way where they actually do the thing and they kind of mold themselves to be what is expected or, or what they hope society is expecting of them to become successful, to stand out, to be, uh, to be, uh, uh, to be important, to be, uh, vital. And the authenticity of an Enneagram three can be absolutely, uh, a beautiful thing to witness if they can, you know, define a sense of self for themselves and um, go forth in a way that is helpful to society. But without embracing a sense of stillness on occasion or a sense of um, authentic identity or a sense of fear by going into either nine or six, uh, an Enneagram three can kind of struggle with um, continuously deceiving themselves and pretending like everything's okay when it's not. So that's a lot of what we're seeing in the world. And I did an episode recently about like uh, masks and uh, embracing fear to make meaningful change. Uh, that's a really good episode. So I'm not going to hark on that too much. Um, but the Enneagram 3 being basically the, the default baseline of what everyone assumes they should be, uh, it creates a lot of tension, it creates a ton of tension between the varieties of personality types that exist in the world. Um, and I'll, I'll keep using the U S as an example, cause that's where I am. That's where I live. That's what I know. And, um, the Enneagram three of it all pushes a lot of people to, to the, the, the public imagery to, you know, kind of stay in a, uh, a certain space. So what I mean is that when all of this started with the pandemic, you could see imagery on, you know, on commercials where it's like dramatized, you know, like the, 
uh, empty streets. And now that school is back, everyone's, everything's just like kind of back to normal and peppy and like, everything's great. Um, but it's not quite like that in actuality. And I think there's, there's something about that, like, let's go forward, let's do better. That's good. But right now it's, it's not led in a way that is, um, embracing fear in the way that that could be done. So when it comes to bigger picture things, not as if the pandemic isn't a big picture thing, but um, when it comes to thinking about how we operate day to day as, as business owners, as creators, as family members, there's all sorts of expectations that we're there. We're fighting against all the time. And it's usually some ever evolving dynamic amoebus expectation. There's really no sense of normal. People talk about wanting to be normal all the time, especially those dealing with mental illness. We're always like, why can't I just be normal? But like, what does that mean? What does it actually mean to be normal? Uh, I think much of the time someone's talking about normal as if they're saying like, I don't, I just don't want to feel this anymore. Doesn't necessarily mean that you want to be something specific. Though some people have a laundry list of what they wish they were instead of who they are. And one of the major challenges I feel with people being able to manage their lives and their symptoms and their futures is this feeling of constantly not feeling normal. I think to some degree, most people could point out to you in what ways they're not normal. That's like one of the profiling questions I ask is, is what makes you weird? And usually everyone has some sort of answer. Uh, or if they don't, there's usually a particular specific um, definition of what it means to be normal for them. And what we don't honor as a society is the fact that normal is unique to every single human being. Now, there's a general normal. There's some aspects of uh, human beings that are, you know, kind of normal having four limbs, for example, physiology to some degree, um, having bones. <laughs> but even then, if you were born with an adamantium skeleton, uh, does that make you not normal? It makes you different. Uh, sure. But that becomes that person's normal. And for each of us to define our normal allows us to feel accepted for ourselves and for other people to start to accept us as well by just being quote unquote normal. And that's one of the challenges because it's just so much easier for me to say that than it is to do that. Um, and it is for anything. It's easier to say that we need to be better as a society or we need to do, to do this or do that. But like the action is so much harder, which is why not as many people get into action uh, when it comes to these things. So for me, when it comes to my cyclothymia, which is a um, basically bipolar three, it's a cyclical bipolar disorder that lasts about five to seven days each month. And um, it's it can be anywhere between three weeks to three months that it shows up. It depends on the amount of uh, stress and anxiety that exists in circadian rhythm and stuff like that. So I deal with um, lows, consistent lows and, um, and highs that are not as high as full-blown bipolar disorder or not as low as full-blown bipolar disorder, basically not ending up in the hospital in any kind of way. But it's it's no less 
um, it's not, it's not any easier to manage necessarily. Um, it's not like it's, uh, it's not bipolar light. <laughs> it's just a different kind of thing. Uh, so for me, uh, it was really around 2017 and I've told my story a couple times on various episodes, but why not keep repeating myself? Um, in 2017, I went through a divorce and it was sort of the culmination of a long series of failures throughout my life. Um, I had made very strong strides to work in the film industry, to, uh, to get a couple of uh, two dream jobs that I've always wanted. And I lost them both because of my mental health and aspects of my personality and not being able to find ways to communicate what I needed to people and having had challenges with relationships, with family, with, um, you know, career stuff and managing my own health. I kind of came out of 2017 feeling like I needed, I needed to really explore who I am and who I've been. So I started turning towards Myers-Briggs specifically to start to learn more about what is me and what is my mental health. Like what is normal for me? Because I found myself consistently trying to stretch my sense of normal, trying to stretch myself to be something else, to be more, um, to be as communicative as someone who is more naturally communicative, to be more, um, people pleasing, uh, or to be more reliable than in, in a way that other people are reliable or to ignore some of the more esoteric, playful, abstract aspects of myself and to not develop a relationship with that side of myself or to really sometimes ignore my own objective thinking and um, be able to look at multiple perspectives without judgment, including my own perspective without judgment. So as an INTP, I needed to do two, two things. I needed to rekindle my relationship with myself as an INTP and to relearn how that relates to my cyclothymia. So as you know, I was going through this process, the, the cycles kept happening. I was still experiencing them. And for as far as I knew, all I was doing during those cycles was just doing everything I could to not end my life. Um, you know, I just had to be grateful and find ways to, uh, to, to have some appreciation for my existence. And for me, that was activating some of the intuitive sides of myself to think about the more Buddhist perspective of, you know, I've been, uh, I'm, I'm the, right now I'm the end of a chain of, not the end, I have a kid, but uh, I'm the second to the end of a chain of evolution from, you know, 13 billion years of the creation of the universe through, through wars, through famine, through viruses, through, um, through agriculture, through warring tribes, through whatever, uh, since the single organism of man was created, I have eventually, you know, landed on my existence. And, uh, that's an interesting, beautiful thing to think about when you're at the lowest of your possible lows. So for me, that helped me get out of that. And for me, that was tapping into my intuition. That was allowing my intuition to find the optimism, the, 
the worth it of it all, what was worth taking the risk of still continuing to exist and finding a path forward. So tapping into that aspect of intuition and not being necessarily religious, but awakening and allowing for my own sense of spirituality, which is again, not even external. It's just my relationship to the external and my relationship to myself, the relationship to my, my own mind and letting my mind not think as much. And, um, just in a sense, uh, submitting to a way of, of thinking that allows for me to appreciate continuing to exist. And that's really where it all started for me. Um, in 2017, really 2018 ish, when dopamine really became a thing. Um, I started to catalog my journey in basically starting in 2018 of learning more about personality types, learning more about my family, because now understanding my family, understanding my, my father and how he operated and what he really needed when we fought a lot growing up, what my parents, what my mom was doing, um, you know, my, my various family members and, and what their experiences were like, um, the family dynamics that, that all really helped me to understand my relationship to them and my relationship to all of the other people that I've kind of flowed through and with in life and allowed me to really start to, to accept and appreciate who I am and who I've been. And not only the willingness to try and flex myself, to stretch myself, to be uh, the best version of myself that I could be, but all the ways in which I kept rubber banding back to myself. And it's usually when I rubber banded back to myself that, that life kind of fell apart and it fell apart because I wasn't honoring myself in the first place. And for other people, for other personality types, if you're a very other focused kind of person, then it makes sense to do that, to just kind of like follow the the path of life. I remember when I was 19, um, my girlfriend at the time, she felt like she had her life kind of figured out. She's an ISTJ and she was like, by 24, I want to have a house. I want to have kids. I want to have this. I want to have that. And I was like 19 and I freaked out. (laughs) And I remember that I feel like if I knew my personality type at the time, I probably could have explained my mode of thinking because thinking ahead for me has never really been a strength, at least not thinking more than maybe one or two months ahead, maybe three at most, if there's an obvious um, goal line. But she was thinking, you know, along the lines of the track of her lineage, you know, she, even now she's got three kids. She lives in her old neighborhood. She's got a good dude as a husband um, and she's doing well. Um, But she basically followed the path that she wanted to follow all our kids are in like extracurriculars curriculars and doing all of the, the stuff that she wanted that she talked to me about. And I was like, this is crazy that she did that to me. That's like, that's maddening. I wouldn't be able to have done that. Um, I would have stretched myself to a point where, um, it wouldn't have felt great for me to, to be a part of that. Uh, and, and, I think depending on your personality type, if you're not dealing with certain mental illnesses, you may be more able and willing to stretch yourself. I think really when it comes to personality and mental illnesses, we're dealing with capacities. We're dealing with the ability to stretch yourself in certain situations. Uh, For example, when I am in mania, I 
have basically identified at this point that uh, the best thing that I can do to manage my symptoms is to continue to focus and honor my first two cognitive functions. For me, that's introverted thinking and extroverted intuition. And to make sure that my backseat functions are not like kids jumping in the backseat and trying to take the wheel. So for me, it's um, my extroverted feeling, which is more responsible for the uh, the people connection side, the sort of planning, the 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 looking to other people's needs. And um, sometimes it's people judgment and, and looking at behaviors of others and getting really frustrated that they're not, um, you know, doing what they they need to do or they're, they're supposed or what they're supposed to do. Um, so if I get hung up on that, something that I can do fairly normally, right? Like right now I'm, I'm in a good space. Um, I, I still feel it and I still need to back off, but when I'm in cyclothymia, <clears throat> I definitely need to back off. My brain gets very heightened by it and I can feel the difference between being calm and being heightened. And it actually helps me when I'm not in cyclothymia to know what is causing me unconscious stress without even realizing it. So I stay off of Twitter. I will not make external commitments and I will make sure that I am, um, that, that I'm, I'm still doing work. I'm still doing, I'm still thinking, I'm still practicing, um, my, my articles and podcast ideas and stuff like that. But I'm also trying to not future pace too much either. I'm keeping everything in the present. I'm staying focused. I'm using, you know, my, my introverted thinking, which is more about objective, clean slicing data and information and my extroverted intuition, which is all about, um, expansion and, uh, thinking in ways that are more abstract pattern recognition, playful, optimistic, things like that. But even not letting that go too far either, um, getting heightened in the right ways. Cause I can laugh at a comedy and I'll be fine. Um, but if I go out drinking, that's not going to work out fine. Um, so it really depends on the things that I do and making sure to take care of what my needs are in the moment and honor the dominant parts of my personality, not overrun them, not overuse them, but to do them in small spurts so that I can still get sort of the natural energy hit because there are aspects of our personalities that need that for an energy hit. Our brain redistributes the, the chemical responses based on how we're using those functions. It's like if you've ever thought about, let's say you're a person that can usually read a lot. And if you're someone who can read a ton and suddenly you're feeling like after two days of intense reading, as in, as let's say you're an introvert and um, you're able to, after two days of intense reading, you start to feel this like compulsion to like, to go out. You feel like you can't focus. You feel like you can't read anymore. Um, you feel this sense of like, it's suddenly you feel like you're someone else. You suddenly feel like your brain is saying, okay, this is what we need now. Um, because when you're reading, it feels great. And you're like this, I could do this forever, but you can't. And I think that's what personality really helps us to assess is to see what aspects of ourselves, uh, really can't go forever, <laughs> but can go for a long time and to learn how to switch modes, to go between 
the different modes of, of what our brain needs. Cause again, there's the sense of normal of what we, of how we operate, of how we think, you know, being more of an objective person for me is going to rub against people the wrong way sometimes, but that's ultimately what gives me my energy hit. It's why I can kind of laugh and smile despite there being a pandemic. If I've predicted something to be true, because my brain is like, ah, you figured it out. Like, ah, it's like, you know, it's, uh, it's very exciting to my brain, even though it might not be, it might look like awful to another person, uh, to be excited about that is just how I operate. So what I'm trying to get at with all of this stuff is that by understanding your personality type and your cognitive functions and understanding your sense of normal, uh, for kind of the, the, your center, you know, where you rubber band back to, uh, where your focus is. And this is, I want I want you to think about this pre mental illness because mental illness is not your identity. Uh, I don't want you to think about it that way. Um, and again, I'm being careful because I'm not a physician. I'm not a therapist, but in my experience, I've seen the over identification, particularly from those who are, um, who have mental health challenge uh, channels on like YouTube podcasts, things like that. There's this, um, the sense of community that comes with mental illness creates this feeling of commiseration where we bond over our symptoms. We bond over how we feel. We bond over the terribleness of it. And what I'm hoping that I can contribute to is letting you know that your symptoms and your mental illness is not who you are. It's something you have. It's something you experience and it's very real. I'm not trying to say that personality type is a replacement for your mental health or your therapy or going to a doctor or getting medication or any of that stuff. I'm not here to give you advice on any of that because I can't, but Knowing your personality type can help you see the difference between what bipolar looks like for an ESTP versus an ISFJ, because they're going to operate differently. They may end up getting accentuations of their natural personality manifesting through the general symptoms of a personality. So with, with ADHD, ADHD is one of the big things I want to tackle because in my experience with ADHD, inattentive looks very different for me than it does for uh, someone who, again, is like an ESTP who has extroverted sensing as their dominant function. And they use that extroverted sensing in a more physical, playful, kind of always tapping, always moving kind of way. It's more typically hyperactive. And I can be hyperactive, but it's more in a subtle way because I'm more like leg tapping, leg moving, um, and uh, for me, I'm, I'm combined ADHD. So there's hyperactive, combined, or inattentive. And combined, um, for me, is really a measure of my introverted thinking and extroverted intuition. So when I'm being inattentive, it's like parts of my brain are skipping things, or I am missing information at times. And that happens um, as a you know, for, for me in what ADHD looks like combined with being I, I, INTP. So bipolar disorder can look very different for someone who is an INTP versus an ESFP. 
uh, ESFPs are already naturally full of energy and may even be conflated with having ADHD when really they're just naturally full of energy. ESFPs and ENFPs have a ton of energy. Extroverted sensors have a lot of energy to expend. And there are a lot of people who naturally have that. So Molly and I have been talking about it a lot, that like the school system, the American sort of um, the industrialized school system basically only accounts for like up to four personality types and everyone else has a disorder, <laughs> um, and which may or may not be true. You know, uh, again, I'm not saying that ADHD is not real. I'm not saying that bipolar disorder is not real, but there may be challenges in which it's twofold. One, that our personalities may be stretched so thin that it's creating some of these disorders, or we're being misinterpreted as having these disorders because we are so focused on honoring who we are that it's so unnatural to the public sense of normal, right? Again, with the DSM, having... Enneagram three, basically as the, as the center point for what is considered normal, anything, the all other eight types in the Enneagram are going to be seen as potentially having some sort of disorder if they stick out too much or, or do it in such a way that is disruptive. So when we're talking about mental illnesses, mental illnesses have a repeat, um, repeat challenge in your life. It's, it's causing um, consistent, consistent issues. And for me with cyclothymia, again, it's not as if knowing I'm an INTP is going to override the fact that I have ADHD and cyclothymia. Those things are very true. Those are parts of my, my genuine experience. Um, but as an INTP and knowing who I am as an INTP, I can better know when things are off. I can better know when something is is not quite right for me. I can know when I'm stretching myself too thin. I can know when something is being expected of me that I can't quite do. And it's not necessarily about limiting myself because I can still stretch myself. But because of the mental illness side of things, there are certain limits. And while that's frustrating, because I know other INTPs can, can stretch themselves uh, a lot more than I can in certain circumstances that I have to just continue to honor my sense of normal, even in relation to other INTPs, right? So when you're using type systems, when you're trying to understand spiral dynamics, Enneagram, uh, Myers-Briggs, or even like chakras and understanding what chakras uh, relate to you, you know, it's about, uh, it's about honoring where you are and what you need. So for instance, also, if, if, if 10 people are taking the same course, and there's going to be 10 modules in the course, each personality, each person there could identify with something different that they need in their life and see it as something that is going to, uh, you know, something, something on the test is going to, or the, or the, the workshop or whatever is going to stick out to them because everyone's at different stages of life. Everyone's dealing with different things. Everyone's having different, um, reactions to the course material they're having everyone's got different needs at different times so i want to emphasize that even though we may be one of 16 personality types or one of nine enneagram types or um 
uh, one of the, what is it? Seven chakras. I forget. Yeah. Six or seven chakras. Um, it, it's not, it's not an absolute, it's not a death sentence. And the same thing with mental illness. Uh, a lot of the times what we're dealing with, at least when it comes to high functioning mental illness, it's something that if we learn our sense of normal, we learn our personality type, then there's some ways in which we can take some of the power back, some of the power back. And we're not a victim to our mental illness. We can then at least start to investigate our own experience and start to investigate, you know, who we actually are in relation to, you know, what our parents are God or Allah or Buddha or however you look at the world or the universe gave to us. Um, Cause as far as we know, this is your innate instinctual wiring, at least when it comes to Myers-Briggs and seems to be the case with Enneagram as well. So using these things as a recentering point is valid for as far as we know, in terms of experiential data. Um, I know these things haven't been quite proven yet in terms of scientific validity, but also science as it stands is only one form of understanding existence. Um, and there are always going to be things that we don't fully uh, understand about our lives. But if you start to investigate these things, and it's not necessarily about it, quote unquote, being true, so much as if it's something that is clicking with you, and it makes sense that your personality type is this and does this, it can empower you and enable you to start thinking about yourself and your needs, and really start to approach the world with a sense of empowerment. And empowerment, for me, how I define it, is a sense of personal responsibility for anything that you experience, good or bad. So I want to empower people to be able to utilize the strengths of your personality to manage your symptoms as, you know, an INTP, an ESFJ, an Enneagram 8, uh, you know, Enneagram 9, etc. To be able to honor who you are, to look at your symptoms and say, this is what I'm experiencing, but is what I'm experiencing in terms of symptoms pulling me away from who I naturally am? And how can I close the gap a little bit? How can I be someone who is, if, if I'm normally a very, you know, kind of passive and quiet person, but my bipolar disorder is making me, you know, kind of loud and, and boisterous, you know, are there aspects of my Enneagram type that are pulling me in a direction that is way too far away from who I naturally am. Um, cause sometimes that happens. It feels like a, like a symbiotic takeover. Sometimes I was just talking to our friend, uh, Tay last night and we were talking about, you know, what we experience with bipolar disorder. And sometimes it feels like you're being, um, overtaken by another entity, but I promise you that it's you, it is still you. And for you to honor who you are, and not let these unconscious aspects of yourself completely drive you because then it becomes a little bit more primal or it becomes a little bit more um, uh, deceitful of who you naturally are, then you can actually start to take some of the power back, make sure your hands are still on the wheel, even if it's hard, because it is hard. And I only deal with cyclothymia a few days of the month and it's, it's brutal. It's really hard to deal with. And I know others who are dealing with bipolar disorder for a longer period of time. We're trying to manage ADHD. We're trying to other to manage other situations, other symptoms, um, and other experiences. That there are tools out there that, if you look at who you are as your personality, it doesn't necessarily need 
mean you need to behave more like a judger or more like a perceiver, depending on what your situation is. What you really need to do is honor who you are. And so far in my experience, that's been the most helpful is that if I'm honoring who I am as an INTP, then I'm able to manage certain situations uh, my way and feel empowered and feel like I can go forward into the world um, not feeling defeatist or fatalistic or that I am a victim to my mental health, but I am empowered and that I can, I can manage it, I can live with it, and I can still have a good life despite it. So I want to thank you for listening to Dopamine. If you want to learn your personality type, you can go to dopamine.life and take our beta chatbot personality test. And then also sign up for our email list to learn more about who you are, learn more about your cognitive functions, learn more about how you can start to take some of the power back for yourself. Because I think that's powerful. That's important. So as a gift for listening to this episode, if you go to audibletrial.com slash dopamine, D-O-P-E-A-M-I-N-E, you can get a free audiobook to pick up whatever book you'd like that's available. I personally like The Martian. I think it's a wonderful book. Uh, I love the movie, and the book is like five times that in length of scope, of story, of, of personal identity. I really love it and appreciate it. So audibletrial.com slash dopamine, D-O-P-E-A-M-I-N-E. If you're in need of some really great music for your podcast, videos, whatever you're trying to do, for any particular use, I would recommend Soundstripe, soundstripe.com. If you put in the promo code dopamine, D-O-P-E-A-M-I-N-E, you'll get 10% off. What I love is that the license travels with the project. So when you cancel, it doesn't mean that you'll get copyright strikes. Soundstripe.com, it's a good choice. I would highly recommend it. So thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Share it with a friend. Like, subscribe, all of that fun stuff. Leave a rating and review. That really helps us. And if you want to skip all of the things I just talked about and you want to go straight to our programs and communities, go to dopamine.teachable.com to check out our programs and really get immersed in some deeper learning. So with all of that said, I appreciate you. Take care of yourselves and each other. And I'll catch you next time on Dopamine. See ya. This has been a C-Note Media Production.